0: Welcome to the Couch Potatoes, I'm Brett McGarry. In honor of last week's Gold Heist at Pearson Airport in Toronto, I decided to revisit one of the greatest movies ever made!
1: Plus... I'm Jeff Braun, Kerry Russell stars in a fantastic new political thriller series on Netflix, I'll review The Diplomat, plus... Well first, we gotta start with the nerdy stuff, a season
0: wrap for this.
1: What do we stand for? I'm going to Mandalore, so that I may be forgiven for my transgressions. Hang on, kid.
0: This is the way. The Mandalorian Season 3 wrapped up this past week on Disney+. Plus. The Star Wars series is one of the biggest streaming shows out there. Although, depending which headlines you read or who you listen to, you might come to believe that it's a failing piece of crap and its ratings are dying. It simply is not true. But the quality of Season 3, well, that's entirely up to you. To recap, The Mandalorian is set a little while after the original three movies, so it's between Episode 6, Return of the Jedi, and Episode 7, The Force Awakens, more on Jedi in a few moments. The Mandalorian is about a lone bounty hunter gunslinger named Din Djarin, who comes into contact with a rather important package, which is carrying little baby Yoda, real name Grogu, They bond and go on lots of space adventures together. Sidebar, before I forget, after three seasons, Grogu still can't speak because his species lives to like 900, 1000 years old. So at roughly 50 years old, he's still kind of a toddler. And I just learned this, apparently he was born the same year as Anakin Skywalker. So Anakin grew up, became Darth Vader, slaughtered who knows how many people over the years, and has already died. And Grogu still can't even say, feed me, I am hungry. Anyway, season three continued to expand the lore of Mandalore, which is a planet, hence the Mandalorian, and an important quest for its people to reclaim said planet after they thought it uninhabitable after the Empire bombed it to smithereens years back.
1: So, Jeff Braun, what did you think? I liked it, and I will say Grogu, in a way, did learn to speak with the excellent addition of... uh the little robot thing he can climb into that says yes and no. <laughs> yeah. And when they're walking down the street and he just keeps hammering the yes button over and over and over again. I mean, Mandalorian's mask has no expression on it, but you could see the expression on his face anyways, just with the body language. I, I, That might be the funniest thing I've seen on TV all year and I've watched a lot of really good comedies, but uh, that I love that. So uh, the Grogu stuff I liked. Um, I, I see in your notes you've got a criticism about uh, some of uh, Grogu's jumping around that you weren't too into. I, I'll let you get to that, but I agree with you wholeheartedly on that. It looks, so much of the show looks really cool and then every now and then something happens that looks just really silly and it's like, is that a joke or is it just we don't have the time or the money to <laughs> do the CGI on that or there's just no way to make a uh, puppet bouncing around look cool, I guess. I don't know. But uh, I I enjoyed the Grogu getting the robot, getting some feet, getting a little bit more uh, agency in what he does and stuff. I enjoyed that. And generally, I liked... Um, the expanded Mandalorian universe like literally with all these new Mandalorians I I think it's interesting I think it's fun I think the hard part about it is the fact that they all have to wear their helmets all the time so it's just watching a bunch of faceless people can it can be a little bit tough and I'm you know, not paying enough attention or too stupid to whatever to I just get them confused because they all kind of look the same to me. I know they try and make them each one look a little bit unique, but a lot of them still they're not, you know, all the same like stormtroopers are all the same, but they're still I was like, am I supposed to remember what this guy's done in other episodes? Cause I don't. But uh, I enjoyed the the journey that he's gone on with these other Mandalorians. Um I a couple other notes I had, I like that we're uh, presumably done with the Gus Fring character now. I thought we were done with him before. I, I, I didn't mind him, but I was just like, eh, find something new. I, I was c- kind of done with that. I, I'm surprised I got rid of the... Uh, uh, spoiler alert, I guess. I, I thought there would be more for years to come yet with this black lightsaber thing. What's it called? The dark They're saber? The dark saber. Yeah, I thought that was really cool. And then to have it maybe go away for, forever, I was like, oh, that's too bad. I kind of like that thing. Um, And I liked Apollo Creed coming back. Every time he says Bando is... I just enjoy that so much. Just Carl Weathers. We've talked about how much we love Carl Weathers. He's one of these guys that, whatever he does, I just find it very entertaining. So I thought it was a good season. I thought it was fun. I'm not looking for a whole lot out of this show. I think I think Andor is still, for my money, the best of the Star Wars series. But uh, Mandalorian is definitely number two. It's uh, I thought Obi Wan was a good show and the Boba Fett show. Had, had a lot of problems with except for when Mando was on it. So it was a good season of Mando and I hope we do get some more. I guess they sort of left the ending kind of This could have been a series capper, but, uh, I don't know. I I assume, like you said, it's still being watched and making money, so hopefully they come back for more.
0: Yeah, my understanding is that they're getting ready to shoot season four in October, uh, if I heard correctly. So hopefully they come out with another season, but they could maybe just decide to scrap it. But yeah, I, I, I also enjoyed the expanded universe because Mandalore was nothing in the movies, but in the Clone Wars cartoon, it was... Pretty big, oh, yeah. and it also played a role in Rebels, uh, but because we saw Bo Tan Crees pop up throughout these cartoons, so to have her journey sort of come full circle here was pretty cool to see Uh, so it does help if you've seen the cartoons but as I've pointed out before that's a major commitment because there are well over 100 episodes in both uh, the Clone Wars and then when you combine that with Rebels for sure I didn't love this season as much as season 2 that was my favorite show of 2019 but I did still really enjoy season 3 it wasn't without its flaws you mentioned there's a scene in the finale where Grogu is being chased around the room by three Praetorian guards. And these are like elite guards who wear red uniforms. We saw them take on two Jedi and the last Jedi. So they're, they're formidable Fighters and Grogu's bouncing around in this light fixture (laughs) on this uh, that's hanging from the ceiling and they're flailing after him like just a bunch of fools. So that was sort of silly. I think the main criticism about season three is that Mando and Grogu took a back seat for much of the season because it kind of became Bo-Katan's story. But that's always kind of been the thing with this show is that he's it's like a space Western where Mando just goes from adventure to adventure and helps people get through something. This was just a longer situation where he helped ultimately help Bo-Katan achieve what she was trying to do. Like none of that would have happened if not for him and for Grogu. And I thought that the way that they brought it back in the final two episodes, particularly to the finale where we got to actually see Mando kicking some butt again in a serious way. It was a reminder like, Oh yeah, this guy is awesome. And we got to see Grogu do some pretty cool stuff. And then they had this really touching moment together at the end of the the season and I will say this: You can read find all kinds of negativity about this show from a certain pocket of the Star Wars fandom. Here's the deal: No one hates Star Wars more than Star Wars fans. Yeah. So the people who really hated season three, they make it sound like the sky is falling. It's not. It's it's a fun show. Andor is the serious show. The Mandalorian is a fun show with a little baby Yoda doll. So, I don't know. I really enjoyed it. I thought the visuals in this were spectacular. It had some of the most amazing edge-of-your-seat excitement I think we've seen in any Star Wars production. So, I liked it. And I guess we'll hopefully get one more season, and then we'll have the Dave Filoni movie, which kind of brings together the Mandoverse. I'm guessing we won't see that Uh Who knows when we'll see season four. If it does start shooting in October, maybe we'll get it in 2024. Won't be surprised if it's not until 2025 with all the post-production that will surely be needed. Uh, But yeah, I thought season three overall pretty good. Pretty pretty good. Also, I just want to mention this because this is really funny. If you go to YouTube, there's a channel called Oral Knots, spelled A-U-R-A-L-N-A-U-T-S. And the Mandalorians, they have this line, this is the way. That's sort of their motto. Right. And it gets said fairly often. Well, the oral knots went through the whole series and added them up. I just grabbed a chunk of that.
1: This is the way. This is the way. This is the way.
0: This is the way. This is the way.
1: This is the way. This is the way. This is the way.
0: This is the way. This is the way. This is the way. So the total count, and this includes, like, when 15 people say
1: it all at the same time. Can I guess? Sure. Uh, for all four seasons? Three, yeah. For, or three seasons? Sorry, yeah. I'm going to guess it's... Uh 472. 222. Oh, that's still quite
0: a bit. Yeah, it is is a lot. Uh, It's it's just a really funny little video, so good for them for doing that. Uh, We just got to mention, too, on the Star Wars front, Jeff mentioned it last week, one of the movies he's looking forward to, Return of the Jedi, the 40th anniversary. The original release was May 25th, 1983. It's playing again for one week leading up to Star Wars Day, May the 4th. Also new in theaters, by the way, this week, Are You There, God? It's me, Margaret, an adaptation of the popular book big george foreman the miraculous story of the once and future heavyweight champion of the world and there's a great canadian looking movie well it's great looking canadian movie from director sean garrity called the end of sex and in a moment we're going to hear about this great new show on netflix and a movie that jeff checked out that has me still scratching my head i still can't make a sense of the trailer for that you're listening to the couch potatoes
1: Welcome back to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. And one of the weirdest movies of the year, opened last week, it's also one of the best of the year so far. Joaquin Phoenix stars in Bo is Afraid. I'm visiting my mother tomorrow. Do you ever wish that she was dead? What?
0: Bo? Are you
1: on your way? I'm on my way. I just... Ah! It's not safe, is it? I sincerely doubt that. I'm sure you'll do the right thing, sweetheart. Bows Afraid comes to us from writer director Ari Aster who has been a horror guy and an acclaimed one at that, whose first two movies were Hereditary and Midsummer. I've not seen either of those because of my aversion to horror, but I gave this a shot because it was said to be a comedy. Now, there are still some kind of nightmarish images in the movie, but it is not a horror movie. It is very weird, though, and it's very long. And if you are not at all adventurous in your film going, if you like your movies to have a kind of a clear cut story with a plot that makes sense, from wire to wire or you can't sit still for three hours, don't bother seeing Bo Is Afraid. For everyone else, it's a wild ride. It kind of runs the gamut of emotions and really gives you something to talk about afterwards. I'll try to set up what I can, but this is really a kind of a you-have-to-see-it-to-believe-it scenario. We meet Bo at his therapist's office, as we heard in the clip there, talking about going to visit his mother. Uh, she lives in another town. He's nervous about it. He feels guilty, though, because he hasn't seen her in a while. And after his session with the therapist, he, we see him head home and through Bo's eyes, and he is a guy who's riddled with anxiety every waking moment. The world is just a nightmare scape where literally every person walking by wants to harm him in some way. He's terrified and he has to literally sprint into his building and into the safety of his disgusting little apartment uh, because people are just coming after him. Now, it sounds like horror, but it's mostly played for comedy as everything is greatly exaggerated and can't possibly be real. It's very surreal, like his elevator door that never opens properly. And it's always throwing sparks and violently shaking and stuff. Uh, He's worried, you know, the elevator will break down and kill him every time he gets in it. And so, you know, he tries to get to his mom's house in another town and everything he tries to get there backfires. It's very much like the kind of unsettling dreams that we sometimes have where even a simple task is thwarted at every turn. I used to have this recurring nightmare where I was almost late to do a newscast and try as I might, I just couldn't get the 20 steps to the news booth in time. Uh, it's that sort of a thing and it's three hours long. So um, if you do yourself suffer from anxiety, maybe don't see this in the theater. Maybe wait till it comes at home so you can take a pause every now and then. Aster Smart, though, because every half hour or so, he does change up the movie greatly. Bo finally does get a little bit ahead in his journey, so it starts with this chunk in his neighborhood, like I was talking about. Then there's a chunk with some strangers who try to help him, who are played wonderfully, by the way, by Amy Ryan and Nathan Lane. There's a chunk of the movie set in the woods that I couldn't explain if I wanted to, and then after all that, there's another hour runtime of a movie. Again, three hours long. I will say that it is kind of worth the runtime. I was never bored. It never dragged it's kind of masterfully paced but after three hours my butt was pretty sore um i bet he could have shaved 30 minutes off of it too i went with my girlfriend she said the same thing about she's like he could have cut half hour out of that no problem i don't think it's the sort of movie i'll watch maybe more than twice ever although i will say that i wrote that note the day after the movie and now it's been two days since i've seen the movie and i actually already kind of want to see it again because I've read about it and I've heard things about it and it's like, ooh, I didn't pick up in this and that. So uh, anyways, the three hours, find a recliner seat theater if you're going to go see it. Walking Phoenix is terrific. Um, aside from being afraid and uh, having this anxiety like I mentioned, he's also confused a lot. He's bewildered a lot and he's sad as well. The poor guy's just going through a roller coaster. Uh, it's very absurd but Phoenix keeps it grounded. Even if you can't believe your eyes of what's going on around him, you do believe how he's feeling about it it. everything that is going on around him. I think if the Oscars were held today, he'd win in a landslide, but they're almost a year away. So impossible to make any predictions. I would think he would be nominated most certainly, but he's also going to play Napoleon in a Ridley Scott epic later this year. And that's the sort of thing that's got Oscar written all over it. So maybe he'll get two nominations next year. Who knows? We'll we'll find out when we uh, get there. Uh, You know, uh, the movie, I think it's a true original, And those are becoming increasingly harder to find. We've been saying that for years. And I would say that as much as uh, we talked about this last week, as much as I'm looking forward to the summer of sequels over the next few months, finding a real unique gem like this, I think is cause for celebration again, super weird, but I feel like I was mostly picking up what they were putting down. Although the ending I wasn't sure about, it kind of feels like it has two endings and the second one didn't seem necessary. And there's a lot going there that I wasn't really sure what was happening and then i've been meaning to read some more about that i think i'd like to see it again first see if i can't figure it out for myself but uh there's a lot of good stuff going on in this movie there's a great post-show discussion to have afterward with whomever you go to see it with it's a bonkers movie i was gripped by it for every one of its 179 minutes four and a half couch cushions out of five i would maybe give it five out of five aka the sectional if one day i can figure out the ending (laughs)
0: All right. So in the meantime, still to come, we're going to hear what Jeff thinks about this new Netflix show, The Diplomat, which has been perched at number one for a few days now. And I got to tell you about the Hall of Fame classic film that I watched and then the subsequent sequels that I watched. You are listening to The Couch Potatoes.
1: Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff, he's Brett. And just a week after I finished watching The Night Agent on Netflix, the streamer has thrown another political thriller series at us. Kerry Russell stars in The Diplomat.
0: Ambassador Catherine Wyler, Prime Minister Nickel Trobridge. Welcome.
1: Sir, it's an honour to meet you. Ah, honour to be met. Someone is luring a strike force into the Persian Gulf.
0: The president is sending you to stop a war before it starts. Not butter a crumpet.
1: Welcome to London, Ambassador Wilder.
0: Tell me how. I'm the ambassador's wife. My husband was an ambassador for a long time. This will be an adjustment. You need to lean into the Cinderella thing. I'm not doing this the way you would. That's fine. Just don't do it wrong. Not great.
1: Russell plays Kate Weiler, a high-powered American diplomat. She's married to Hal, played by Rufus Sewell, who's also been a high-powered diplomat in the past. Usually, they're involved in Middle Eastern affairs, and the series begin with Kate believing she's about to be sent to Kabul, Afghanistan. But nope, she's just been named the U.S. ambassador to Great Britain, so she's off to London. The posting doesn't make sense to her, but we soon find out some of the -the behind-the-scenes machinations going on. Further complicating matters is the fact a British warship has just been hit by a missile off the coast of Iran. And further further complicating matters is the fact that her husband, Hal, is a slippery fellow, not in a treasonous sort of way, but he's always working angles no one can imagine and complicating things for everybody around him. So there's a lot of intrigue and who do you trust and what's really going on, and it's kind of got a West Wing vibe too because a lot of it's in government offices. I will say the first episode was kind of tough to grab hold onto. You know, there were a lot of names and places and it was moving pretty fast, so keeping up was a little tough but I eventually settled into the rhythms of the show and by the end of the second episode I was hooked hard Uh, they reeled me improper unlike the night agent which had quite a bit of action, gunfights, that sort of thing the diplomat is much more talking but somehow it's even more thrilling. On paper, you'd think it'd be kind of dry, but it's got pizzazz. Uh, like I said, it moves and it creates genuine intrigue. Most of the credit probably has to go to the writing. The performances are great as well, though. Carrie Russell, always great. Last seen in The Americans, for which she was not appreciated enough. She's smarter than most people around her, her character, and she knows it. She That doesn't always work to her advantage, though. Her husband Hal, also super smart, and he also knows it, and we learn more about their relationship as the series goes along. It's pretty interesting. As ambassador, she of course has an office staff. The main guy is played by Edo Asando. There's a CIA operative in their loop, and of course, there's all these politicians. The U.S. president played by Michael McKeon. Nice to see him again. I think the last thing I saw him in was Better Call Saul, and he was actually my least favorite part of that show. He makes a good TV president. Rory Kinnear plays the British prime minister. He played the character Tanner in the last few James Bond movies. He's been in a ton of things. You'd probably recognize him. I still have a few more episodes to go through. Three, I think there's eight in total. They're all just under an hour and I can't wait to see how it all plays out. So I've been enjoying
0: the diplomat on Netflix this week. Rory Kinnear also played Frankenstein's monster in that uh, Penny Dreadful show that oh. I liked
1: from a few years back, Yeah,
0: and he was excellent, He's in, a good uh, guy. Yeah, and really menacing, but also very sad, uh, so that sounds cool, I, I'm wanting to check it out, but good lord, there's just so much content, and <laughs> and it's, it's especially difficult to consume new content, when because I've gotten in this habit of revisiting, like, all old. I keep trying to find movies I haven't seen, and ultimately I just end up going back to a movie that I haven't seen for a while. Yeah. And this next choice was inspired by last week's news of this gold heist at Pearson Airport in Toronto—something like twenty million dollars worth. So, you know, a few of us got to talking about heist movies, and you cannot talk about heist movies without. You want to knock over a casino? Three casinos. Ocean's Eleven. We're just supposed to walk out of there with a hundred and fifty million dollars in
1: cash without getting stopped.
0: Yeah. It is a Hall of Fame movie, so of course I had to watch it again. Why do this? Because the house always wins,
1: unless when that perfect hand comes along, you bet big and then you take the house. Been practicing this speech a little bit. Did I rush it? Felt like I rushed. That was good. It I liked it.
0: 22 years old already, if you can believe that. Made in 2001. What a great movie. It's a heist comedy with a stellar cast, including George Clooney, Brad Pitt, Julia Roberts, Matt Damon, Bernie Mac, the late Bernie Mac, Don Cheadle, Elliot Gould, Andy Garcia, Casey Affleck, Scott Kahn, and Carl Reiner. There was a sequel in 2004, Ocean's 12, a threequel in 2007, Ocean's 13, and then and Ocean's 8, which we will touch on first. That first Ocean's 11, by the way, was itself a remake of a movie from 1960 starring The Rat Pack. I have seen that as well. I'd be willing to give that a rewatch, but... uh I wasn't too impressed with that.
1: Have you ever seen the original? No, I've never seen it, so... But you're not making me want to rush out and see it anytime soon, that first one.
0: Yeah, I rent, I think I rented it from somewhere, and I just... I don't know. I was sort of underwhelmed, but that first Ocean's Eleven was so poppy and colorful and buzzy, and a movie made in 1960 was a bit more uh, moderate in its pacing and whatnot. And it's funny how this... The original Ocean's Eleven stands out so well because with that excellent cast, we get to know... We don't get to know all of the characters, but we at least get to know enough about them to know what they bring to the team, to know their strengths, to know their weaknesses, and they all get these really great moments. It's just it's really well-paced, so they've got this awesome story, this awesome plot the plan is crazy with some great twists and turns throughout, but then we care about the characters, and we want them... To win, even though they're, you know, they're stealing a lot of money, they're stealing from a bad guy, but they're still stealing a lot of money. They're all criminals, but you, it wouldn't be any fun if it was just let's all go to the library, and rent <laughs> as many books as we can. So. No. Uh, Jeff, you uh, are a big fan of Ocean's Eleven, yeah?
1: Yeah, I love all these movies. Um, and th- it's just, it's just, it's just fun. I know we say that a lot, but this, it's pure fun. These movies, and they were born out of fun. The director Steven Soderbergh said, "I want to make a fun movie with uh, a bunch of my friends," and you know, it's and Clooney's like. Let's all sign up. And you got Brad Pitt and Matt Damon on board. And and it's like, well, let's go to Vegas because Vegas is a fun city. Like, the only reason this takes place in Vegas is because these guys want to hang out together in Vegas for two months. And (laughs) And then they got paid for it and they made a great movie in the process. These movies are like... uh they feel like they're almost incidental to. We want to go have fun and get paid for it and make a studio, you know, sp- you know, pay f- pay for everything kind of thing. Because the twelfth, this Ocean's Twelve is in Europe. It's Like, let's go to Europe for the summer. Yeah, that sounds like fun. and <laughs> so Let's go back to Vegas. Yeah, let's do that too. So it's just fun. You and you can just feel that fun just coming off the screen. And they're great. And like you said, but they're also it's also a really good heist movie. That first one, like, that plot is genius. And I've seen this movie, I don't know, probably fifteen or twenty times. And I know kind of the broad strokes of it, but it's such a detailed plot that you just can't. I can't memorize the whole thing. So every time you watch it, just you just get sucked into it all over again because you got to pay attention. Like, oh, what's going on? Why did they have to wear that? Why are they showing the dice dangling from the rearview mirror? That uh, twenty minutes later, they tell you why they're showing that. And it's just uh, it's fun filmmaking from Steve Van Soderberg, and the cast is having such a fun time. It's just uh, it's infectious.
0: And if I were rating that movie, because I don't think I've never actually given it a formal review, the sectional. Got to give it the sectional. Five couch cushions out of five. And should also point out, I mentioned that the late Bernie Mac, also the late Carl Reiner, I forgot that he passed in 2020. You mentioned, so we talked about the fact that Ocean's 11. I really wish it was one and done, but they went back to the well in 2004 (laughs) for Ocean's 12. Yeah. I want my money back, the money that your friend stole from me, $160 million with interest. I'm not the only person in
1: the world looking for Oceans 11.
0: Huh. Oceans 12. Now, when I say I wish that this was a one-and-done movie that would be revered for all time because that first movie will be revered for all time i don't hate the sequels they're just they can't hold a candle to that original so in this one their nemesis from the first movie is coming after them so they as jeff pointed out go to europe because they need to steal something big but it turns out there's someone else after them who is considered by many to be the greatest thief on earth. And he essentially is just looking to upstage them and have them admit that he's the best. How you doing? You doing all right? Oh, I feel great for a dead man. Okay, good.
1: Now you told me that he called it Ocean Eleven. Now who decided that? good point. I'm a
0: private contractor. All right, so Ocean's 12. I think the first time I saw this, to be fair, I didn't like it at all, but there were a couple of things going on in that moment. Uh, I had gone to like a day drinking party that day, (laughs) and I took the bus home And I was kind of tired and, and, you know, half cut when I got home. And then I threw a Delicio pizza into the, the oven, but I set it to broil, not bake. So I char broiled this pizza. I smoked out the entire house. My pizza came out like a hockey puck. So I was miserable. And then I watched this movie, which, of course, isn't as good as the first one. But I've watched it, I think, at least three times now, if not four. And I seem to be enjoying it more and more. It's not the same, but it is it does still have its intricacies and you still get those some great moments between the characters and in this one whereas the first one focused more on Danny Ocean played by George Clooney this one focuses a bit more on Brad Pitt's character Rusty so we learn a bit of we learn, already knew, knew Ocean's background now we learn a bit of Rusty's background so I don't know I'm kind of uh, digging this movie the more often I watch it what do you think?
1: No I feel exact same way I didn't really like it the first time I saw it because like you said it was nowhere near as good as Ocean's Eleven and it was it has a bit of a different vibe and a, quite a bit of a different look and that's just uh, Steven Soderbergh, like, I think that guy just gets bored really easily with making movies if he's done it before. He's like, no, we gotta do something really different. So it looks really different, which is kind of hard to, you know, when you're used to a a sequel, is supposed to kind of look like the first one. But also, like you, every time I see it, I like it more and more and more. And so I I watched it a couple of years ago, and I really liked it. I should watch it again soon. I know they also had some trouble getting... (laughs) they you know they kind of fast tracked it and it was hard scheduling all these people to be there together so that's why like Bernie Mac has just gone from the movie for what feels like an eternity and I think it had everything to do with his schedule he wanted to be there more but they just couldn't fit it in so uh, spoiler for Ocean 12 he gets arrested like half an hour into the movie <laughs> and spends the rest of it in jail right so um, so it it had weird kind of problems like that but I think it's still fun and it's if you haven't if you saw it once and didn't care for it I would say watch it again because we both say it's uh, better on rewatch
0: I well, I own Oceans 11 on Blu-ray, so that's where I watch that. But you can watch Oceans 11, Oceans 12, and Oceans 13 on Crave. It's available through the Stars channel, and we'll tell you about 13, and then the controversial reboot. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brad, he's Jeff, we are The Couch Potatoes. I revisited this week all four Oceans movies. Oceans 11, 12, and now let's talk about 13 reverse big store. Doesn't matter if we win as long as the casino loses. Which means that we have to rig craps, blackjack, slots, and roulette all in our favor. Jeez, could you make it any more complicated? So in Ocean's 13, which came out in 2007, they're back in Vegas because their funder, the the man who funded their adventures, Ruben, played by Elliot Gould, he's been muscled out of a partnership with Al Pacino, who's a new player in this one. So the team gets back, and then Ruben has, has a serious issue with his health as a result of that altercation. So the team gets back together, not to rob, but to exact revenge, to essentially screw up Pacino's new casino so but so it's like a reverse heist where they're they're trying to to like not benefit themselves but hurt someone else I, I upon the second viewing because I saw it on the big screen I'd, I've never been compelled to go back and watch it again I liked it okay in the theater and this time same thing I, I liked it okay it's got a cool plot I enjoyed the hijinks and whatnot but I found that You get almost nothing from any of these characters that we've come to love. It's just almost entirely plot, 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 plot. Even Al Pacino, he's got a couple of great moments, but other than that, meh, meh.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. I outright didn't like it at all when I first saw it in theater. And then when I rewatched, I'd never watch it again until last year or the year before. And I thought, hey, you know what? This This is pretty good, but it is by far the least of the three.
0: And then finally... I also actually have this on Blu-ray, Kurt, because Warner Brothers sometimes sends us some Blu-ray movies, so I have watched it once and this time I decided I'm gonna watch it again. Oceans eight. So you wanna hit a jewelry store? Not exactly. The diamond mine.
1: Yes, that's exactly right. Or what? The Met. You're no good, you're no good, you're no Three and a half weeks. And that will be hosting its annual ball and we
0: are going to rob it oceans 8 came out in 2018 the hook here this time is all of the heisters are women much like that ghostbusters remake starring an all-female cast they decided to give this one the all-female treatment so that's why i mentioned it was controversial because not everybody was a fan of that and I don't care. As long as the movie's good, I don't care. Sandra Bullock is in it. She plays Debbie Ocean, the sister of Danny Ocean, and she recruits a star studded cast of bandits, including Kate Blanchett, Mindy Kaling, Helena Bonham Carter, Sarah Paulson, and Rihanna. Boom. I just wanted to play that clip because I love the song, I forgot how much I enjoy this song, and yeah, Anne Hathaway's also in it too. She plays a celebrity who's gonna be at the Met Gala, and she's wearing this like, ridiculous, expensive diamond necklace, the Toussaint, and they are planning to rob said necklace from her neck while she's wearing it, and uh... I think 13 is the worst of the bunch, but this one is mediocre as well, it's just middling, like it's, it's cool-ish. Cool adjacent.
1: I saw it in theaters when it came out, and I even after hearing you describe it, I have absolutely zero recollection of it. So <laughs> I'd be a blank canvas going to see this again. I do remember thinking, "Yeah, this isn't nowhere near as good as any of the first three. So uh, yeah, it's too bad. It's worth a swing.
0: Yeah, like when you when you have a cast that's led yeah. by Sandra Bullock and Kate Blanchett, two of the like the best actors out there and they're both just kind of bland and boring and then you've got that awesome supporting cast i think honestly anne hathaway was maybe the brightest part of this movie because her character had some great moments and then she she provided some twists and turns that i wasn't quite expecting but oceans uh, oceans eight by the way you got to rent that digitally uh if you want to see that but the other three are available through crave through the stars channel So to recap, Oceans 11, it's a masterpiece. The sectional, five couch cushions out of five. It's awesome. Oceans 12 grows on me a little bit more every time I watch it. I don't love it nearly as much as the first one, but it's pretty good. Oceans 13, I saw it once on the big screen. Hadn't watched it again since 2007, and I don't know that I'll ever be able to compel myself to watch that one again. It's okay. It's not bad. It's just not great. And Oceans 8, also not bad either. It's just kind of mediocre at best. Next week, by the way, I want to tell you about the new Apple TV Plus movie that debuted this past weekend, Ghosted, starring Chris Evans and Ana de Armas. It's got bad reviews, but you know what? I enjoyed it. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes. Remember, if it requires getting up off the couch, don't bother.